Hello and happy birthday to Paper Tuesdays <laughs> and welcome. Uh, this is episode 52. We're here in a new location. Michael, oh, he's Michael by the way and I'm Mark. Yeah. Michael? This is such an occasion. We're our first away day. We've celebrated our first birthday. I'd like to huge shout out to Robbie and Shane for setting us up and my father for t- giving me the idea of uh, sitting down with this man. And this, the reason why we're meeting this man is Liam Byrne. It's because he's the, he's the epitome of the story. When life gives you lemons, you freaking make lemonade. Liam Byrne, thanks for speaking with Paper Tuesday. Yes, Liam. Was it your dad that gave you the told you yeah. down here? He said See, I a... was probably talking shit in the back of a taxi. <laughs> Uh, can I say that? Oh yeah, oh yeah. 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 I was really breaking his heart over, over, over Buffalo and talking shit. And, <laughs> and he said, "If you're looking for lots to talk shit, there's only one man to go. To go <laughs> to the Valley Girls." <laughs> yeah, no, thanks. Thank you. Welcome out to Macamore Buffalo, lads. We're delighted to have you. And. Hope you're enjoying your oh, sausages for breakfast. We've made ourselves a home already. <laughs> this is our third blow bowl of sausages. How would you describe the sausage, Mark? We'll give you a good look at them. Ah, they're unreal. They're very nice. Yeah. There's a chili uh, essence, I suppose you'd say, would it? They're chili yeah. flavoured, but they're, they're unbelievable. Now They're very nice. And this is, you've developed this over the last, how long, Liam? Uh, well, our butcher developed it. I didn't do anything. I just screwed, <laughs> I just screwed the animals. Um, I suppose we've been talking about doing a chili hot dog for the last six or eight months so we, we, we decided we'd try and get it going when the summer was about to kick in and all the staycations are around so there'll be plenty of people around to, to buy them and try them so yeah they're, but they're lovely they're mm. really they're really nice and they're a good long hot dog sausage so yeah. bring on the summer lads yeah absolutely um, since 2016 you've developed Macamore Buffalo and it's although there's two sides to it I suppose that Macamore complements the buffalo in the soil Um so yeah. tell us a bit about the buffalo. So um, we bought four buffalo calves from John Lynch in John Lynch is from McCroom Buffalo down in down in Macamore McCroom. They almost sound the same, and mm. <coughs> but um, we bought calves from John Lynch in twenty March of twenty sixteen, and we then bought a herd of animals from Wales in July of that year. So we went from zero to, to 37 in a, in a matter of a couple of months. Um, the animals themselves, they're, they're a lovely animal to farm. They're an absolutely beautiful animal to have around the farm. They're, they're very friendly. They're very inquisitive. They're very intelligent. Um, they really, believe it or not, they enjoy human contact. Um, we have a field across the road here now and there's, and there's a field below that and a field below that but when it comes to having a, a lie down after grazing they'll nearly always come up towards the road gate because the people stop to look at them mm. we get people going by here all the time on, on bikes especially this time of year and onwards mm. people stop to look at them and they enjoy human contact they enjoy people looking at them and they get up and they come to the gate and they want to be rubbed and massaged and so they're really friendly and very inquisitive and very intelligent. But we're called Macamore Buffalo. The land around here, the land from south of Arklow all the way down, as I think maybe even as far as the slobs of Wexford, part, part of the land is, is called Macamore land. It's very heavy. The soil is very heavy. Great for growing grass. In a dry summer, we'll have grass where other farmers up the country will be crying out for rain. But because our land holds holds the dampness, we were able to grow grass very well in the Macamores. Um, so this whole area is called the Macamores. We have the Macamore Inn was a pub in Ballygar. The local cycling club is the Macamore Wheelers. There's a Facebook called the Macamores. It's a history history mm. page, and then we're Macamore Buffalo. So mm. that's where the name comes from. And the animals, even though they're Asian in their in their um, their ancestors, they would have come from Asia and India, very warm climates, but they really thrive very well here in 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 the southeast of Ireland and in Ireland in general. They they seem to really thrive in in this climate. Mm. And they're they're big in India. You were saying you have a big Indian client base here in Ireland. Yeah. So when we started this, like we done. Well, I won't say we've done a huge amount of research. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Spent years researching. No, we didn't. <laughs> we just kind of winged it from day one. But one thing we did do is when we started looking at the buffalo meat, 
we went researching its 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 qualities and it's high in protein and it's it's uh, low in fat and it's low in cholesterol mm. it's high in iron and um we were kind of trying to aim ourselves towards that that market where people were looking people wanted to eat red meat but they wanted a cleaner meat mm. and another thing great thing about the buffaloes we never inject them or dose them they're free of all Mm. So when I was farming regular cattle, Herefords or Bows and Blues or Cementals or whatever, yeah. you would dose them a couple of times a year for flukes and worms. The yeah. buffalo, they've been here since 2016. Not once have I got them in to give them a dose. Really? Not once. No. Never. And never. they haven't caught anything? Never. Ne whatever they pick up, they pick up the same things off the grass as on the animal, mm. but they deal with it. Yeah. They're able to deal with it internally. I don't know how, but they do. They you calve know, them by their own as well, on their own as well. Oh, the calve on their own, yeah. They, they're, they're great for calving. I've never even seen one calving. Never even seen a cow calving. They go off and they have the calf and they come back the next day up the field and have the calf with them. And they're very protective of their offspring. And the whole herd is protective of the offspring. You might have seen some videos on YouTube of, of stuff that happens out in South Africa or somewhere where the, the buffalo are very protective and the lions are trying to catch up on baby calves and all the herd will come to the aid of the baby calf and, 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 and save its life from a lion or something but it is the same I've seen animals down there now and they, the cow is calved and the calf is there and the cow is there and the other animals will all lie around and protect it from whatever they think might be coming along mm. so they're, they're very protective very protective but, but as I said they, they don't need any injections and they don't need any veterinary intervention of any kind we see the vet once a year here in our farm we see him just for our annual hair test and thankfully pretty much that's all we see him for you know so they're, they're a great animal to farm and mm. but you were talking about our, our, our customer base mm. so we would have been trying to market the meat at restaurants and cafes we never realized the huge market for our meat would be the indian community in ireland because they were used to that at home. There's a huge Indian community in Ireland. They were used to that. And uh, uh, they, they got wind that there was buffalo meat for sale in Ireland. And now they're, they're, they're one of the, probably our main, our main market is the Indian community in Ireland. So it's fantastic. You have other questions about the buffalo, Mark? Oh, I have a few. Yeah, just sort of about buffaloes themselves. Uh, you, got, you said they were friendly. Uh, can you milk a buffalo? You can. Now, we don't, but our, our good friend, John Lynch, down in McCroom. Mm. John, um, since 2009, has been milking buffalo in Cork. And he's producing the famous mozzarella cheese. And we all love mozzarella cheese. But mm. John, I think it's, the, again, the climate, the grass, the way he's rearing his cows and the, the, the quality of the milk is giving him a high level of um, a high level of, of quality in, in his mozzarella and he's won prizes all over Europe you know he's beaten the Italians hand down every year that the quality of his cheese so you can mm. milk a buffalo and and, and uh, the milk is high quality and it produces fantastic cheese so yeah milk away <laughs> and the climate here how does that affect them um they love the climate here, you know, uh, they really do. They, like, I was actually short on space, you know, over the winter and I had to keep a cow and a bull out all winter, which is not the right thing to do. But mm. they seemed that they, they didn't lose any, any, any um, weight or lose condition. They were fantastic all year round. And they, they seem to, they seem to, especially when they go out in the spring, they, they flourish in the grass. Absolutely thrive. They'll put up weight every single day on yeah. uh, in the Irish climate, so the the Irish climate seems to suit them. You know they they enjoy the rain too. We have some at the back now. Well, not today actually, but usually Peter, my son, will get the hose and he'll turn it on on a hot day, and they'll come down to the fence and he'll hose them down. They love the water. Oh, they love the water. They get in. We have a couple of mile holes and. They get into them and they have a bath, a mud wow. bath. So, yeah, they, they love the Irish climate. 
I never thought that you'd have muffalo in a in a mar hole. That's incredible. It just shows, you know, that it's a North Wexford venture. Like, um, do you do you ever think or ponder how your your fourth generation farmer? So, mm. have you ever thought about how three generations ago if they thought that there'd be buffalo here now? Ah, three three years ago we heard they thought <laughs> be buffalo. Never mind three generations. Yeah. You know, mm. it's it's look. You have to, I suppose, do something a little bit different, you know. You have to oh, do yeah. something different. Like you guys with your podcast, <laughs> you know. You have to try something different. And so we, we gave it a lash and we're getting on good, you know. Mm. So three generations ago, absolutely not, you know. Absolutely not. You know, yeah. I often think what my dad and my mom would say. Yeah. They're, they're no longer with us. But, mm. um, yeah, I often, especially my dad. Like my, my, my father was a great cattle man and loved calves and loved cattle. And... um. I often wonder what he would have thought of the buffalo, you know. Mm. You got uh, what? No, sorry. You get you get you can tell that you get a lot of your principles from your your parents and your grandparents from you know the typical farm and family. You know, everyone all shoulders to the wheel and everything. Oh, yeah. And but uh, there's another layer to this as well, like because with the buffalo, you um you you mentioned there its health benefits, but like I, I can't get over like the, how little how pure the meat is mm. like that and how healthy it is like you you mentioned in another podcast about you know how the importance of whole foods and you've seen that in your own personal health transformation as well you, you think this is the way forward maybe and i suppose the market is changing as well and people are becoming more health conscious in what we eat look there's no there's no doubt about it like i you are you referring to my my diabetes my yeah, type, yeah. So, yeah, so in 2016, no, sorry, what are we, 2021, two years ago, 2019, I was told I had type 2 diabetes. And so there's two ways you can do this now, Liam. You can, you can medicate or you can just uh, reverse it by changing your, changing your um, diet. So I said, I'll go for plan B, I'll change the diet. Mm. And I changed the diet, and and this comes back to there's no doubt about it. We are what we eat. We bloody well are what we bloody well eat. Um, and I changed my diet, and in two and a half months, my psoriasis had cleared up. So I had psoriasis on my elbows, and I had psoriasis on my knees, and and it had cleared up ninety percent, right. There was nothing left but the, the, the wee mark where it had been. Mm-hmm. That, that, that flaky, scaly skin was all gone. And I was eating whole foods and I was eating red meat and I was eating white meat and I was eating eggs and I was, I cut out all the sugar and I cut out all the, the, the crap and the processed foods and cut back on alcohol. I'm, I'm coming back around actually. But, and all brilliant, and I'd lost a stone and a half, you know, and I was, but we, I think anyway, as a people, especially in the Western world, we are, we are so, we are so um, hooked on sugar. Mm. It's such an an addiction in many ways, you know, and just like anybody that's addicted to anything, I, I slipped, I slipped back into my old ways. Mm. My psoriasis came back. My weight came back on. My arthritis came back. You know, I find it hard. It's a bit hard to play the guitar at the moment. Mm. So when I changed, when I got type two diabetes, then it went away. I reversed it with my diet, and with what I was drinking and what I was eating, and then I slipped back into my old ways, and my I'm borderline now type two diabetes again, and I'm back up stone and a half. And my psoriasis is back. So there's no doubt about it. We are what we eat. I, and nobody would convince me otherwise. Mm. There's no doubt about it. We are yeah. what we eat. Yeah, Mark, you're a personal trainer. You see that as well, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found that as well. I had psoriasis before as well. And it went away. Yeah. I, yeah. Didn't, I tried all these different creams and shit to get rid of it. But uh, the diet was what got rid of it as well. Yeah. It was unbelievable. And it just it went sort of without being awesome. And I, I just remember talking to someone about it one day. And they said... All that stuff on your skin is gone. And I was like, it is too. And it was all gone. And I remember one stage, my whole upper body had red marks all over it. It could have been stress. It could have been sugar or whatever. But I think a lot of it is diet and exercise. 
It is. And as you said, you are what you eat and your mental clarity is different as well than you're eating properly too. You know, you don't get brain fog or the sugar crash. You know, you get, you drink a bottle of Coke and, you know, it feels good for a minute and then you're half asleep half an hour later, you know. You don't get that if you're, you, you coil sugar, but it's very, it's very hard to give up as well. You know? Because it's in everything and it's yeah. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, it's everywhere. It's so hard mm. to, to, to quit sugar, you know. Mm. But it, it is, it's a killer in itself. Mm. Yeah. It's worthwhile though, it's worthwhile to try to give it up, you know. So I'm back where I was now, two years ago, I'm, I'm trying again to cut it out and cut it back, watch what I'm eating. Get out and walk again, mm. you know. Yeah. And try and reverse it again because I've done it before, but it's possible too. You look up anything about type two, mm. you you can you can reverse it. With, yeah. With 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 the right food and and right exercise, and you you don't have to be, you don't have to do bloody triathlons. Just. He does triathlons. <laughs> you don't have to. Yeah, <laughs> relax so you, yourself. I just needed to hear what yeah. the. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, have you tried? Were you trying? Was it a ketogenic diet or was it just sort of eating whole foods? Oh God, no, 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 I can't spell that. No, no. <laughs> I, I don't know if I could have spelled it. Um, no, it was just, um, just uh, get your eggs and get your red meat. And don't eat after seven o'clock and don't eat processed food and don't eat takeaways. Mm. You know, mm. so if that's ketogenic, then yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, we've done all this talk and we haven't got to music and that's your love of your life isn't it yeah well as i mentioned earlier on your grandmother gave me my big break <laughs> yeah. my big my first it wasn't my big break i know i'm waiting for my big break that hasn't yeah. come yet but she gave me my, my first break <laughs> school yeah. in ballygarrett national school and she was um she was uh coordinating the christmas concert and i got up there and i sang a song that I wrote myself that had lyrics from someone else's song that was put the music that was someone else's music but it was my song <laughs> you know, but I, I, I remember that yeah, so your, your, your grand gave me my, my first break in music yeah. yeah look it's a passion it's always been a passion music has been good to me you know music built this house and yeah you know and yeah. this music has been very good to me since I First fell in love with being a musician and wanting to be a musician. I remember my biggest influence, and to this day I listen to him every single day, mm. is is uh, Bruce Springsteen, and we call him Uncle Bruce here in the house. Mm. And, um, I remember seeing Bruce in, on New Year's Eve, nineteen eighty seven, and there was a documentary called Glory Days. And I had been a fan for a couple of years because eighty four and eighty five was born in the USA, and so he was at his the peak of his commercial success at that point. And then I just loved everything about it. And of course, everything Americana was big at the time, you know, like the charts is full of Madonna and Lionel Richie and uh, Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson. So the charts was full of American music, you know, and you two were big in America. So MTUSA was on every Sunday on TV. So you, you got a good shot of everything American and American football was big at the time in Ireland and so the Olympics were in Los Angeles in 84. So Ronald Reagan was coming to her. So everything, a lot of stuff on TV at the time was very much focused on the United States, you know. Mm. And um, But I, I fell in love with Bruce and everything about him and his band and the way he lived his life and his songs, the course of songs and his performance. And I remember looking at that at New Year's Eve, 1987, Glory Days, it was on, I think it was the old Grey Whistle Test, actually, it was on. And uh, uh, he was being interviewed, and I was just mesmerized, blown away, and inspired. And I said, I want to play that guitar. I want to play the guitar. So, yeah, so bought, we bought a guitar and got a very good friend of mine, Rob Weldon, my, my best friend, actually. Rob was playing some gigs over the road and around the county at the time, and he gave me some tips and showed me some chords. And, yeah, so... That's where that, that's where music started for me, you know. I just loved it and always loved performing and even sitting here with like, an audience of four and that's all I want, you know. <laughs> an audience of some kind to, to talk and it's it, it's in you. It's in yours, yeah. you know. It's in you, but you, I think one of your 
traits is that you have a wide range of musical tastes. Like, we're sure you, you, mm. you fell in love with Christy Moore and you took him mm. everywhere. Oh, well. Christy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Who doesn't love a bit of Christy? Mm. And I just, I spent about, I spent about eight years touring all over Ireland every single week and we few trips to Australia and a few trips to America and out to Europe and the UK and I had a show called Ordinary Man a tribute to Christy Moore and uh, I had a manager for a couple of years and he kind of got the ball rolling um, and I thought well I'll get about two years out of this gig now but I ended up getting about eight years out of it and then I kind of I still love Christy and love his music but I found the you need a listening audience for a gig like that. Yeah. Mm. And I think in many ways, Irish audience, unless you're in a theatre setting, you cannot do that kind of a gig in a pub setting. Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the audiences really, I think, forgot how, not forgot, but the audiences changed and they didn't listen. There was, TV was on and there was, flipping match on or something and you're there and you're trying to like Christie's songs I was able to put a great, a great twist on Christie's songs I brought a lot of my own storytelling into the songs and my own sense of humour and my own jokes so you need a listening audience for that mm. you know yeah mm. and if the audience is not listening then the night is very long mm. yeah. very long yeah. and then so I kind of probably fell, I fell out of love with the gig a little bit you know and then when when you when you lose interest a little bit in the gig, then you're not going, and the audience is changing, and it just died a little bit, you know. Mm. I'd love to do it again. I will do it again, but yeah. only in, in with the right setting, a theater or a listening crowd, you know. Yeah. Because you need a listening crowd for do, for those type of songs. See, it's a two way street as well. In that you can you can tell that the audience wasn't listening, the attention was turned elsewhere, or whatever, but. I think you have a great skill in listening to the audience as well and feeling about, I figured out, I, I found a blog post that you put up in 2013 of three gigs you did and you ended it in a very witty way. You said, um, and why am I writing this now? I don't know. Or for no one to read or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 <laughs> but yeah. you you, comment, you had the dinry on the Friday night and then this you had a sore kind of on the Saturday and then you had the Sunday uh, a wedding in the Brook Lodge. I and, yeah. and you can, the vivid description of each gig and you could tell how different they were. You know, the younger one, the first one, you know, That's so you, you keep it mo modern and fresh. The second one was more, you know, an older crowd. So you get the classics in and you get them out dancing. And then the third one was just, it sounded like a shindig. It sounded yeah. like just, oh, a God almighty session. It just sounded the amazing. The second gig that you referred to was a, a family reunion. And there was a lot of older people there. So you ended up doing loads of waltzes and quick steps <laughs> and stuff. But, and that was fine. You know, you're yeah. doing, you have a job to do. There's no point in bursting out flipping whatever a bit of Coldplay for quite a few that are in their 70s and they want to have a waltz you know it's very hard to sing a Coldplay song in waltz time you know so uh, so look you're hired to do a job mm. and if you don't want to do the job then don't take the booking right but you're hired to do a job on those three nights just happen to be very different and so uh, you're right. I, I can adapt to each gig as as it is presented to me. Now, that's not saying every night is bloody brilliant. It's certainly not. But I remember those three gigs, and and the second gig, the gig at the Saturday night, the, the the second of the three gigs was in an older crowd, and you had to play it to the crowd. The third night was in Brook Lodge. It was the day after a wedding, and it just went from zero to a hundred in about two songs. <laughs> you know, and it was just amazing. It's a great venue, the Brook Lodge. Actually, it's one mm -hmm. one of my favorite venues and again the, the Friday night that was in the dinnery in Carlow and it was a, a nice sign of a summer's evening it was around seven o'clock people had finished up work they're having a few beers and it was all kind of summertime songs a bit of Bruce a bit of Don Henley a couple of Beast Boys numbers and everyone was just kind of chilling out and having a beer and a bit of music in the background not a big sing-along nobody out dancing just kind of tapping their foot and having a beer and everyone's happy including the band yeah, you know, yeah. so that's yeah, yeah. I remember that Taylor Tree gigs, yeah. yeah. 
so, yeah. such a tale as well. Like I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because when you when you see a musician, you don't think that they're doing that thinking, but they are, and they have to, I suppose, to to actually connect and engage with the crowd. Well, I always I can't speak for any other musician, but I always think a musician, if you're up performing and you're kind of you're like a snooker player. A snooker player's taking a shot. Yeah, but he's always thinking two or three shots ahead, <laughs> and I and I find when I'm doing the gig, if I'm singing a particular song, I'm thinking of what I'm going to sing next. Yeah, the lyrics and the chords are coming completely automatically, but I'm thinking what am I going to sing next? Yeah, and what am I going to sing after that? What will work next? Mm. Always, always thinking that. Brilliant. And that's and I think that's what makes it makes the night great when when you, rather than just having a set list with. 30 songs and same 30 songs for the last four years no way you know no way no way you gotta be if you if you, if you go down that road you're gonna hate your job yeah. is there still nerves involved no you get stage? no no it sort of becomes no. habit no no nerves no no do you reckon it will be when you go back after taking such a long break from performing um, well I went back Last year when lockdown lifted for a while, there was a few gigs in maybe July or August. I can't remember. I think it was August. And um, not great for practicing and rehearsing. So when I went back, I thought, well, I'll just pick up where I left off. But you yeah. don't. <laughs> maybe it's an age thing or something. You don't. Yeah, you have to. I found myself kind of saying, finishing a song and I hadn't thought of what I'm going to sing next or after that. I hadn't done that. And uh, then it felt like half an hour between songs, even though it wasn't, but it just felt like that. Yeah. What does he next? What does he next? And you're going through the book, and you're going through the head, and you're going through the... So, no, you, not nervous, but you certainly, you, you do forget. You do forget things. You do forget. So you need a, you need a bit of momentum to get that back into your head. Mm, yeah. You need a momentum of yeah. a year or two, you know, or sorry, a gig or two. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be plenty of gigs and momentum lined up now when, when we're back allowed oh, back in both. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's all going to yeah. come back come back come back strong, you know. Yeah, yeah. You focus more on weddings now and or small weddings, yeah. Um Yeah, so when I tired a little bit of the Christie gig and it became a bit of a chore, because as I say, I loved it and I still love it, but I didn't have the audience that I wanted to put the gig across that would appreciate. Mm. Because it's a two way thing. If I'm if the audience, uh, I the stories I've told every night for years, and I still laugh when I tell them because the audience is laughing, mm. so they're laughing at me and I'm laughing at them, and it just so when that died off a little bit, I kind of said, well, I need something else now. I don't want to go just to pub gigs. I want so I decided to look into the the wedding the wedding gigs and. Not a lot of solo musicians want to do weddings, but I I found a niche in the market where a lot of people were having small weddings. Mm-hmm. They couldn't be in their second wedding for whatever reason. You know, they might be a bit older, they might want 300 people in the big day, they might just want 50, 60 people, small wedding, 30, 40, um, and they want to have their close friends and their immediate family and a small, some small in a restaurant or in a small room in a hotel, and then they don't want a big band, but they do want music. Mm-hmm. So... I kind of threw myself into that side of the market mm. and it, it really worked well for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, when, tell, us, tell us what goes into plan. I know you had a manager for the early years of going to Australia, but like a man from Ballygowrit and he goes off to Australia. It sounds like, I don't know, it's, it sounds like the stuff of dreams, does it? Oh, sure. I supp- you know, you, you kind of think, oh, this is, I've made it now. It is worth a big time. <laughs> worth a big time. But, um, uh, no, you just flip and turn up at the airport and get on the plane and go, and right. if everything goes okay, and you don't really think too much about it. Yeah. Okay. No, nothing. It's just pretty. Yeah. It, the, the, I suppose they're not holidays. <laughs> no, 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 they're certainly no. not holidays. But the, the uh, one gig, the one gig that always stands in my mind was the Manning Bar at the at the University of Sydney, and it was the our first trip over, I think, in two thousand and nine. And that was a bit of a rock star moment because there were tickets were like fifty dollars and they were sold out and there was queues on the street to get in and I was like, Oh Jesus Christ, I'm remembering home this thing so I'm, I'm huge over here. <laughs> yeah. Well I am tonight anyway. <laughs> so it was like um, yeah, so that, 
that that was probably my most memorable um, gig, doing all the Christie gigs and and heading to Australia. But yeah, look, like you said, you you you've still a job to do, and but it was a great experience, great yeah. experience to go out and all the Irish out there, and I think it means a lot to Irish people who are living abroad when a musician or a band goes out and sings all the songs that they love to hear. You know, yeah. Jesus Christ. A portion of our Paper Chooses audience is um, is uh, abroad as well, you know. We, a lot of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, they, they yeah. like uh, Namaste. <laughs> namaste. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> they like uh, the connection to home. And I suppose you brought that connection to life with the song County Bondi. Yeah, County Bondi. Um, my, my sister's Sister-in-law, I don't, know the, I don't know if she relates to me then or not, but my sister, <laughs> sister-in-law lives out in Sydney and she came and she picked me up and she brought, we were touring around and sightseeing and drinking coffee and chatting. Went down to um, Bondi Beach and we are having a coffee somewhere. There was all GA jerseys and club jerseys and county jerseys and I was sent to Risa, Jesus, there's some crowd of Irish out here. She's yeah, sure they call it County Bondi. All the Irish, they call it the thirty third county. And there's a, they have their own GA jersey with County Bondi and the whole lot. And I said, that'd be a great title for a song. So I went back to the apartment that day and I gave it a lesson. I wrote the song County Bondi. And it's been covered by a few different musicians and recorded by a few different musicians over the years. So that's that's always nice. And mm. there was a band called Bacon and Cabbage, and they used to sing it every Sunday night down in the Cock and Bull in Sydney. And uh, they put kind of a, oh, what's the name of that band in Boston? They kind of a, Dropkick Murphys. They kind of put a, a Dropkick Murphys edge on it, you know, and pumped it up. Yeah. And they, oh, yeah, it was good. Mm. So that that was, uh, yeah, County Bondi. It was a good tune, a yeah. tune for the times. Yeah, yeah. What I love about this theme is you've got the music, you've got the Macabre Buffalo. And to be honest, there, there's, a, there's an underlying current that connects the two, and that's that you like... To lo- you love to serve the individual, you serve the consumer. When you're delivering the buffalo, you stay the extra 15 minutes to, you know, to develop the relationship. So even though I would never have thought that music and farming could be related, you have the you have them mesh together. I never thought of it like that, actually. Yeah. I, I have a question it like that. on that theme. So were you playing music and farming at the same time? Oh, yeah. So you were out at night and was, yeah. it, was it dairy or was it? No, no, just dry stock. And, dry stock. And, so yeah. you weren't up milking it? Like no, God, more than no, after being no, out gigging no, before. No, no. But like, sure, like every musician, like so many musicians work the, the second job and you get home at fucking four in the morning and you've got to sleep and on you go to work. So yeah. it's the same here in the farm. So you'd, you'd be up. Mm-hmm. Kids are going to school and all that kind of crack. So yeah, no, you still, you get your fuels. Mm-hmm. Which are just part and parcel of it, you know? Yeah. You wouldn't do it if you didn't enjoy it. No, no, certainly not, you know. Certainly not, it's a great, it's a great privilege to be able to sing and play guitar and entertain, you know, and it, I, I, I never took it lightly. It was something I loved to do from when I was very young and I still do it and I hope I'll always do it, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, what we do here with the Buffalo, it's not, we're not reinventing the wheel, but as I said earlier on, you, you try to deliver your produce to the end user mm. you know and there's a lovely feeling when you walk into your a hotel or a, or a restaurant and you are delivering the product that you have grew on your farm yeah it's so yeah. a nice feeling you know mm-hmm. the end user so yeah yeah um when you oh yeah like i don't think there are many people like your age that can say do you know what i've I've managed to keep my a love of mine alive, be it music. You describe it as the golf of your life. But then, as well as that, you have the farm. And like, would you give advice, Liam, or is there anything that you'd say, like, for people to, you know, keep their own passions alive? Uh, oh, God. If you look, if you have a passion for something, then do it. Don't worry about the money. The money will follow. Mm. If if that's if you have a passion for no matter what if this is your passion for you mm. guys keep doing it listeners will come and you're you, every day as a friend of mine said today every day is a school day and every day is a learning day and if that's whatever your passion is if baking cakes is your passion keep doing it you know you get better and better 
And that's, I think, that's, that would be my advice. Mm. Yeah. Uh, shout out to RK Cakes and Bakes, who gave us a birthday cake there today. Yeah, and we bought uh, some um, cupcakes too. Yeah. Yeah. Namaste. They were both gifted, gifted to the podcast, the cake and the. Oh, yeah. We may show the cake, but we'll be sure. Yes, yeah. I'm sure Roshi wore this fine apron that we'll be doing an Instagram competition yeah. while she was making this. This is, uh, yeah, so we're, we're collaborating with uh, Macamore Buffalo. Make sure I don't uh, drop it now. Oh, yeah, the cake is some cake, all right. Do you want a knife? Actually, we might as well eat a slice of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the <an> experience. <laughs> So we'll say thanks to Shane for that now. Thanks, Shane. Oh, sorry, Shane, Roshi. Uh, Roshi. Uh, Liam, uh, we have this fella on the podcast, right? And he's flash flood. I don't know if you ever met him any flash floods, but... He's on the cake there. He's on the cake as well now. He's, a, he's a, Yeah, he's a bit I of like a buffalo name. himself, you know. I like his name, Flash Flood. Yeah. <laughs> How's it going, Flash? <laughs> so here's a recent comment from Flash Flood. Them bastards get what they deserve. A blatant power grab during the week. Woodward, gone, bang, good luck. The Glazers, soon to follow. Cheerio, your time is up. Katie's looking at me here like a 10 heads recording this. But fuck it. <laughs> out, out, they said to the Glazers. They arrived in uh, mid-2000s with a sack full of money and uh, a handful of false promises. And all I say is, good luck, fuck off, and take your dirty money, witches. <laughs> Manchester City fan there, is it? <laughs> no, he's a Man United fan. He wants the Glazers out. He's on a flood was on the pitch there last week when they invaded. <laughs> yeah, flash flood. There we go. Yeah. And a flash. <laughs> no major interest in soccer then, Liam, no? Liverpool supporter. All right, ah, okay. No okay. interest. <laughs> Liverpool supporter. Um, does... Growing up in Ballygarrett, does that influence this? You know, you, you have a great, great song that I complimented you on that you wrote for the school and, you know, I love that. Roni to um, Cahor. No, it's... No, Roni um, to Shrewl. No, it's... Oh. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> we're not in New York City or London town No wonders of the world are here to be found From Killina to Cahor We're all you need and so much more this is where we're from. I That's think it. so. Ah. It's lovely, isn't yeah. it? It's very homely, <laughs> do you know, like, and it comes from, you only wrote that how, how long ago? wrote a few years ago, there was a green flag day now in school, oh, yeah. and uh, and I was asked to just come down and put up the gear for the speeches, throw up a couple of speakers, because uh, there were speeches, and there was this, that, and the other, and so anyway, um, I was asked to sing a song, so I wrote that song before I went down. Yeah. Um, we're not in New York City or London town. No wonders of the world are here to be found. From Kilina to Cahor, that's all you can need and so much more, because this is where we're from. And it just lists everything about yeah. the village, you know. The natural riches you speak about. Yeah, the a, natural riches. Yeah. Uh, that? Uh, it's about the ditches, the bars yeah, and the but, ditches. Yeah. Um, oh, I can't remember now, but yeah. yeah, it's about all the kids hurling and the mm. slitters and the ditches. And these are the source of our natural riches, and this is where we're from, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, look. I, John Spillane. Oh, yeah, good man. John Spillane oh. said to Christy Moore one time, Oh, I said, a writer's block, and I, I don't know what to write about. And Christy Moore said to him, write about what you know. So Spillane said he wrote 40 songs about Cork. Because <laughs> that's what he knew. And I, I like... You, no matter where you grow up and who you are, if you are, you kind of write about what you know, your first-hand experiences, the people around you, and the place where you're from. Yeah, and I think I think that's, and uh, anything outside of that, you're just making it up. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that either. When we're growing up, we kind of like to think, oh, we go elsewhere or there's somewhere else to be found. But sometimes we kind of come back to where we are, where we where we start off, and we see what we had. Yeah. Look. I think anything I've ever, any song I've ever wrote has always been, has always come from here, from this house, from the farm, from the, or the parish or the county or, or the country and spreads out, you know. Mm. But I think anything that you're, you're right, it's, it's a personal experience that, that inspires you, you know. Yeah. You, you, um, that could be a Ballygarish uh, anthem. Um, do you think you'll have a song for the Macamore Buffalo someday, maybe? 
Priceline, the Buffalo Soldier. Ah, there we go. Couple <laughs> of miles from killing. <laughs> That's as far as I got. That's hard enough. I say the Buffalo love that. Um, what was I going to say as well now? Um, do you have a question mark? No, no, I sort of. You know, um, oh, there was definitely something. Um, sorry, no. Checking diary. Yeah. Oh, might be gone with the past. But I was doing a gig one. I was doing a, a gig in the Macamore Inn in Ballygar. It must be 15 years ago now, before it burnt down. And it was a... Oh, I'll tell you what it was. It was... Harvest Thanksgiving night. Oh. And then uh, Mary Redmond, God rest her, she was in having her lunch that day. And she said, uh, I might get Tom now. Tom, he's down the shop in Ballygarrett. Mm. I might get Tom to go down and see it. Now he's always saying, I have to go see Liam Burns again. Have to. And I said, well, I said, you get him down here tonight and I'll write a song for him. <laughs> and Mary said, well, now that's, that, that's a deal now. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so uh, he wrote a great song for Tom Redding called The Independent Trader. And... You see, at the time it was the time of the boom and all the shops were going gala and day to day and spar and centra and they were all taken off. But Tom stayed, Tom Redmond and Sons. And that was it, you know. So I wrote, uh, I'm not little, I'm not Ali and I'm not gala either. <laughs> I'm not Pettits and I'm not Tesco and I'm not Aiden Wafer. But I salted the local, salted the visitor, salted the double invader. My name is Thomas Rand. I'm an independent trader. <laughs> it's a grand day today, Tommy might say, and it couldn't piss and rain outside. <laughs> this week's wine, the 7.99, Mary had a little bottle last night. The meat is fresh and the fish is too, everything is on special offer. Even the wine comes in on time, cause the van is drove with the boxer. So down from Dublin, down along the coast, down in the sunny southeast, Thomas Redmond has a grand little shop, the shop with the stock if you please. He sell us up with the stock if you please. He sell you the petrol, sell you the diesel. He's open early and late. If you're going fishing in Kehor or down in Dunmore, Tommy is the man with the bear. And Tommy has lotions to make up potions to cure all kinds of crap. And if you've got the letter for Tack Murphy, Tommy is the man with the stamp. And he loves Elvis and he loves Bertie and he loves Man United. Wouldn't mention to him a supermarket and that man gets quite excited. <laughs> I'm say I'm not little and I'm not Aldi and I'm not Gallagher and I'm not Tesco, I'm not Pets and I'm not Edinburgh. But I salted the local, salted the visitor, salted the double and better. And my name is Thomas Redmond. I'm an independent trader. His price at the pumps is give you goosebumps. I've often heard it said. But as sure as eggs, you can get as far as pegs driving with the car in the red. He sells north to the Eskimos and to the Arabs. He sells cement to Jimmy and Paddy Casey. But I mentioned to him the supermarket and that man could go crazy. So the next time you are passing through by the garret down near the sea, take the little woman to Mary and Thomas and tell him you're talking to me. You'll have a laugh with him and the staff and you spend a feckin' fortune when you're there. But not a word about the fucker down the road or that man could go spare. <laughs> he say, I'm not little and I'm not lead, I'm not Gallagher. And I'm not Tesco and I'm not Pettis and I'm not Edinburgh. But I sell to the local, sell to the visitor, sell to the double and better. My name is Thomas Redmond. I'm an independent, quite contented, highly recommended, not easily offended, loved and remembered, loved and remembered, loved and remembered, trader. Oh.
And if you go down to, and this is, this, I think this is something that I will cherish forever. Tom died a few years back. Mary died a couple of years after. And they used to have the Welly Fest in Ballygar for a few years in the schooner bar. And Tom was very sick at the time and I was playing at the Welly Fest. And I remember being told that he was sitting at his window and he could hear me belting out the independent trader from the stage in the schooner across the road. And on Tom's headstone is the words, the independent trader. Ah, and that bad. is something I'll cherish forever. You played it in the shop as well, did you? So I'm in the shop the day they closed. Ah. Down, not that it closed, but when they handed over ownership of the shop, I was, uh, every, the whole, everyone was calling in and all the kids were there getting their sweets and all the goodies and freebies and everybody came in to wish Emily and Bobby and Tom and everybody well because they were they were moving the shop on to new owners and and uh, and I came in I was on the way to a gig and I stepped in behind the guitar and sang the song for everybody Asher it was just magic and there's photographs and all it was just magic you know and I tell you it's a testament to Tom and Mary and everybody uh, the rats in own the shop in Valley Garden now but over the door still Tom and yeah. his sons yeah you know, how many years later. So it's great. Mm. It's still a Redmond shop. Everybody's still. So, so just come back to what you're saying about where you're from, this is where we're from, all that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Mm. Um, I remember what I was going to say. Um, now that you have Michael Ruffalo, I was thinking, Liam, do you think you could get a burger to Mary McCallaghan? Had you thought of that? <laughs> I think you marry him a lot. <laughs> <laughs> See, Irish is your typical Irish village. We have a, a new school and we have an old school. <laughs> we have two churches, we have one for them and one for us. <laughs> a couple of shops, <laughs> graveyard, 17 pubs. The one thing Ballygard has that I don't think any other parish has in the whole of Ireland, we have, um, uh, there's a group of people, this all men actually, uh, called Mocas, M-O-C-A-S, and we're a secret society, you won't find us on, I shouldn't even be saying this on the podcast because it's not very <laughs> secret now I suppose, but you won't find us on Facebook or Instagram or we're, we're in the dark web. Right, right, right. Mocus, you have to go back first now. We're... We're the Miriam McCallaghan Appreciation Society. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we go on golf outings and things like that. Now, and we, we parade ourselves as uh, the local Amherst Union or whatever <coughs> golf outing. But but this is the song we sing. And we watch we watch reruns of Prime Time when she was in her prime. And oh, I love you, Miriam O'Callaghan <laughs> and I love you. If you lived in a caravan, if you grew a beard and joined the Taliban, I'd still love you, Miriam O'Callaghan. Every Tuesday, the wife goes to course, the kids are in bed, I'm a whole bag of nerves. I've ordered the Chinese, I've opened the wine, because here she comes, here she comes, on prime time. <laughs> I sat you the news, tis all doom and gloom. Jean born in her bondage, said we'd have a monsoon. But I'll not give a hoosh, for the news or the weather. Cause here comes Miriam, I hope she's wearing leather to have no right life. <laughs> I love you, I love you, I love you, Miriam O'Callaghan. And I'd love you, I'd love you, I'd love you if you lived in a caravan. If you grew a big dirty beard and joined the Taliban. I still love you, Miriam O'Callaghan. No, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, I, I think I have one more question for you, Liam. What motivates you? I don't know. I don't think any... I don't, I don't feel... It. To tell the truth, 
I'm not, I don't, maybe you think differently, but I'm not a very motivated person. I don't think so. You have a lot of energy, though. You think so? Yeah. Mm. I don't know. Well, well thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. What motive? I, I don't know. You're one of a kind, though. Like, I was ringing you the last week, and I rang you a few times, and I thought every time I didn't get through, but I just knew that this had happened. I knew that Sunday was happening. It didn't matter. And that's the type of man you are, you know. It will find a way. It's grand. It will find it. Yeah, well, thanks. I appreciate that. Because I... I'm a, I'm a fucking doubter and I'm a self-doubter and I'm always trying to motivate myself and I'm always trying to, like us all, sure, we're all, we're all trying to find a, a better path for ourselves, aren't we, you know? You and your work and me and my work and we're always trying to better ourselves and be a better, a better version of ourselves. So I, I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Um, but what, what motivates me? You know what? I'll tell you, your, your children motivate you, you and you want to you, you want to have a legacy you know of some kind if you kick the book in the morning you want you'd like to have left something your mark yeah. your mark yeah. you'd like to have left your mark your mark and more mark your mark and more mark yeah I think I think that's you'd like to have left your mark you know he was a mad fucker. He used to fucking sing songs about pubs and fire and raise buffalo. <laughs> Who'd do it? You know, yeah, no, that's, I think that's, that's I don't know, what motivates me. Th- I tell you, this, this will motivate me now. Sitting yeah. here with you guys today now reminds me of maybe, we all have talents. Everybody has a talent of one kind or another. We're all blessed with whatever talents we have. You guys have this, and this is a talent. <clears throat> this is my God-given talent, the guitar, and, 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 and I suppose sitting down here and performing, and as I said, entertaining. I was born, I, ever since your grandmother asked me to sing at the Christmas concert, you know, I've always wanted to entertain. And all, all it needs an audience of one, it doesn't matter, if, joke, you know, a joke, a song, something, entertain, make people laugh. And I get enjoyment from that. Huge enjoyment. You know? And I, I feel almost uneasy if I can't do that. It's, it's almost a crutch in, in many ways, you know? But it's, um, yeah, it's, um, I think that, that's what motivates me, you know? You're really great, aren't you? Yeah, you're definitely not afraid to be different, Liam. Uh, that's something I really appreciate about you. And that's something that really got me across. Like, you said, fuck it, I'm going to buy a lot of buffalo. I haven't seen them. I'll bring them to the field and sure, whatever. And, you know, you go here and you write them songs, like, about part of whatever. I love it. It's exactly the kind of stuff that I'm interested in. And it's like, the people we love having on the podcast, like, exactly that, like that. So, yeah. Robert, Thank about. you. Thank you. Yeah, now, as I said, like, this will motivate. This, this has kind of maybe reminded me of, of my own talents, my own blessings sitting here and talking to you lads you know yeah. probably remind me of that um, um, I think if you're, if you're asking me my biggest regret in life was not suing Ricky Martin when I had the chance <laughs> um, <clears throat> um, it was around 1989 and uh, I was going camping up in Wicklow, in Red Cross. And I was on my own, I set up my tent. And I set up my tent and just get the dead leg. Fuck it, get the dead leg. I set up my tent. <coughs> and there's a hole in my tent, my tent. And then I said to the girl, and she had a tent next door. I said that her name was Joan. As it turned out, I said to Joan, she says, hold my tent, flashing rain. Would you mind if I stayed in your tent till the rain stops? And she said, no problem. I'll well, fucking rain for four days. <laughs> so Joan was heading home and she asked me if I'd like to go home along with her. And I looked at her and I looked at the time and she looked better. <laughs> Not a lot, but no. Back on, we went to John's place. John had a 
Sean lived in a in a mobile in a mobile home at the back of a big field in Avoca. And um we had to, we were together for about six months with Seth and John. We went went off on holidays to Puerto Rico for a week. When I got into Puerto Rico, bitches, we went for an Irish bar called the Puerto Rico Irish Bar. And Ricky Martin was only stepping out at the time. He was only starting his musical career. He was singing in his pub anyway. And he was asking if anyone liked to come up and sing. And I got up and I sang this song. And I wrote this song for John called Living in the Field in the Vulcan. Because that's what she was doing. She was living in the field in the Vulcan. And Ricky Martin heard me singing the song. And he stole it off me. <laughs> He had a big, big hit about three days later with a song called Live in La Vida Loca. <laughs> this is the original version though. It asked me my biggest regret in life would be not taking him to the top of Gory when I had the chance. <laughs> that was a great saying years ago. If your lad was going to the top of Gory, you're going to the courthouse or you're going to the guard station. That lad will end up in the top of Gory if he's not careful. <laughs> Woke up on the art club I pass, didn't feel a bit too well. Last thing that I remember was getting sick in the Loch Ormond Arms Hotel with Nick Cleason. I met a choir one down the road, and she asked me to walk her home. I didn't know where she was living, but I knew where she was going, and she said her name was Joan. She Living in the feeling of Orca. All her sheep had foot and mouth. Living in the feeling of Orca. She's not too thin, she's not too stout. Living in the feeling of Orca. She said, Stay in, but I pulled out. Living in the feeling of Orca. All living in the feeling of Orca. I was living in the feeling of Orca. I suppose we'll conclude with uh, go on to their Instagram for the Paper Chooses competition to celebrate reaching a thousand followers and our first birthday. And now, Liam, this is a great honour. Uh, you might do this actually. Um, we read a, a line from I Cross the Line, the Liam Dunn story. And um, so. If I you, pick a number, will I? And sure. Yes, Name yeah, yeah, yeah. You might read. read from it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, something from page 129, please. 129, sure. Oh, you need a yacht to open that one. <laughs> Across the line, the lean down story. Page one hundred and twenty-nine. Oh, I didn't give you a break. <laughs> that page is missing. Is it? No. <laughs> Across the line, the lean down story. <clears throat> On the way to Croke Park in the bus, Griffin showed us a dirty video of his old favourite blockbuster, Braveheart, which we watched every time without fail on his way to the big match. I was so entertained when I first saw the film before the league quarterfinal against Galway, I felt I could hurl a shit sideways in the <laughs> The tape was switched on when the whole team was on board. But again, he never let us watch the end of it. Just as the film entered its final stages, we had to hop off, tog out and warm up. I still don't know how the film ended. The lads used to love seeing bodies fly through the air, but Griffin was clever enough not to let us see the finale because the hero, William Wallace, was he a TD? Because <laughs> <laughs> the hero, William Wallace, dies in the end. He sure wasn't the one. <laughs> <laughs> and we were so wrapped up in the film, it could have affected our mindset. Seriously, that was the way we were all thinking. Of course, Braveheart was a classic and all that, but by the time I got it for a Christmas present, I was fairly feckin' sick of it. It was a lot of shite as a toy. Another part of the pre-match ritual was reading the newspapers. Irish Independent, Sony Independent, News of the World and Sunday Sport. Nowadays, managers are paranoid about their players speaking to the press and if a team loses, the papers get the blame. 
while winning teams get accused of losing the run of themselves while talking to the press. We didn't give a, oh, here's an Irish word, T-R-A for the I-T-H-N-I for the N, Shaheen. Ring it, ring, ring a man there, <laughs> We didn't give a try. We didn't give a Shawnee. I couldn't give a fucking Shawnee about him. We didn't give a Shawnee what was said about us, and we would walk away to, to any journalist. Griffin knew the media had a big role to play, and he knew how to handle the reporters. So he instructed everyone to talk away, and even before matches, he would bring us back to the newspapers by following us, by following by showing us the difference between photos of winning and losing players. Winning players like this, mm. losing players like that. Adrian Fennan was really the only guy who didn't like chatting to the press, and while I understand that, I can't fathom this bullshit of managers appointing two players to talk to the press before every game. It manufact it's manufactured and it's, only, and it's only putting more pressure on those lads who are chosen. I read all the papers before I sorry, I read all the papers before the after match and the pundits were split on the outcome but we were confident. Griffin called us into the huddle and and did his usual prophecy act by predicting we would score a goal but within two minutes they would get one back. Tune in next week. That is page one hundred and twenty nine across the line, the lean down story. Phew. Liam, that's been the best birthday for Paper Tuesdays ever. Yeah, we couldn't have asked for much more. No. Well, that's classic. Thanks, Thanks so much. Uh, MacmoreBuffalo.ie and you've got ta taster packs and everything. With there. taster packs, yeah. MacmoreBuffalo.ie and Meaburn.com and PlentyMoreFish.com and all that. <laughs> <laughs> we're, on all, we're on Tinder. Swipe left if you like it. It's a steak rare. Swipe left. Yeah, Liam, um, MacmoreBuffalo.ie for for all your meat. Yeah. Thank, thanks for everything, Liam. Yeah. It's been a treat. So, so, I'm very thankful and grateful to you guys for coming out and uh, be reminding me of myself a little bit. I really appreciate it. Thanks.